On a dark night, kindled in love with yearnings, O happy chance, I went forth without being observed, my house being now at rest. These beautiful words, the first line of the poem, The Dark Night of the Soul, invite us deeper into the mystery of God's love for each of us. This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore the dark nights. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. As we get started with this episode of Physically Spiritual, I want to share our opportunities. If you want the best experience of the shows here on Awaken Catholic, looking for an alternative uh, social media, check out the Awaken app. Go to theawakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store to get the free Awaken app. If you like what you have, if what you find here, or even if you don't, consider liking, following, subscribing, hit that bell notification, comment, rate, or review. All the interaction with the show helps other people to find it. We're in an exciting phase here at Awaken Catholic. We're running a Kickstarter campaign called Kickstart the Mission. This is an effort to fully fund the mission. You know, this first two seasons of Physically Spiritual and, and the, all the other podcasts that have been going on at Awaken Catholic, it's a great proof of concept that what we're doing here can work and that people want and are looking for this kind of content. Uh, the thousands of people that watch, listen, and have interacted with the content, um, it's been overwhelming at times to see how many people um, have been touched by this. So we want to ask you to consider becoming a part of this movement with us. And if you're able to, to support it financially. And now each show has its own patron community. So you can directly support the production and all the work that goes into making Physically Spiritual happen. Go to physicallyspiritual.com to become a member of the patron community. With that, at the lowest level, you'll get membership in the Awakened Nation, access to bonus content, and all the other stuff that you're already getting access to as a member of the Awakened Nation. But at the, the next levels of, of support, I'm going to start doing monthly question and answer episodes or ask me anything episodes. You'll get access to the full AMA episodes. You'll get uh, at the next level after that, a sticker with the Ventruvian man and crown of thorns. And you'll also get, um, you'll get the ability to ask the questions for the ask me anything episodes. Your questions will come first in the episodes to make sure that they'll get answered. And then at the upper levels, you'll get free coaching or spiritual direction meetings with me. I'll come and do virtual events for your family, your community, your parish, or I'll even at the top level come and do a live event for you. So go to physicallyspiritual.com to become a patron of the show. So this episode of Physically Spiritual is about the dark nights. The dark nights, it's really an area of the spiritual life that's deeply misunderstood. If you do a, a, just a, a search of dark nights on YouTube and poke around, you're going to see stuff that's all over the board. Um, but it's going to be clear that um, a lot of people are just kind of confused on the topic. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the dark nights as the capstone to our series on mystical prayer and on um, mental prayer that we've been going through as part of season two of Physically Spiritual. So the dark night of the soul was a poem and a book 
written by St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross was born Juan de Yepes y Alvarez into a converso family. So he's born in Spain in the 16th century. And this is right after the reunification of Spain. And with that was a big push for the Christianization of Spain. So his family were people who were Jewish converts. So he was ethnically Jewish from a family that had converted to Christianity. His father died when he was just three years old and it reduced his family to poverty. And in 1563, at the age of 21, he entered the Carmelite order and took vows under the name John of St. Matthias. He actually considered transferring to a Carthusian monastery, and this was because he was looking for a more intense, a, a more rich form of religious life after his ordination. But at the request of Teresa of Jesus, who became what we, whom we more commonly referred to as St. Teresa of Avila, he stayed to help reform the Carmelite order. So in 1568, he founded the first male discalced Carmelite monastery. That word discalced just means without shoes. They would wear sandals. It's a greater sign of poverty, a symbol of them returning to the kind of the original austerity of the Carmelite way. And he also changed his religious name to St. John of the Cross. So 1568, he was born in 1542. Do the math. 26 years old, he founds the first monastery. Just think of that. Just 26 years old. Uh, the, the scripture says, say not, I am too young. <laughs> so years later, in December of 1577, John was abducted and held captive in Toledo, Spain, by Carmelites who weren't reformed, and they opposed the reforms that he was doing. He, he was held in captivity for over half a year. He escaped in August of 1578. Uh, so during this time of captivity, many scholars believe that he composed these poems. The first being the ascent of Mount Carmel and the dark night of the soul, which if you read the context, reading the work, they could really be considered as a singular work. Um, the, the Santa Mount Carmel is broken up into three books and it refers to a fourth book. And then the, the dark night of the soul kind of presents itself as that fourth book. So you can see these works together. But then it was in about maybe the five years after he escaped from captivity that he wrote the commentaries on these books. So the way these books are structured is it begins with a, a poem. I read the first line of the poem and I'll read a little bit more in a bit for the dark night of the soul and the Sound of Mount Carmel. And then it goes on and has commentary and it breaks the poem basically line by line. And then there's extended sections of explanation at different parts of the poem. In the year 1591, due to a disagreement with new leadership, St. John of the Cross was sent to an isolated monastery where he died in December of that year of an infection. But he was canonized in less than 100 years after his death. So he's known as one of the, the doctors of the church or teachers of the church and one of the, specifically the spiritual doctor of the church. Really kind of the highest mystical writings in the Catholic tradition come from him and St. Teresa of Avila. So when I say mystical, um, I don't mean that it's something that could never be understood or is sort of shrouded in mystery or something like that, but it's referring to the mystery of the relationship between God and us, right? This mystery that we, we begin, but then never get to the bottom of. It's something that we can come to a true knowledge of, but we never completely exhaust, so this is what I mean when I say mystical writing. And this writing comes from the experience of his life. 
from his own relationship with the Lord and, and his encounters and work in the world. But it's also an expression of late scholastic philosophy and theology. So if you read John of the Cross, there's sort of a, a, a triple difficulty to it. One, it's in translation from an old form of Spanish. So even if you are fluent in Spanish, you might have a hard time reading it. Two, it's coming from this deep, rich, mystical experience that we probably will have a hard time relating to perfectly. And then it's also this kind of late scholastic philosophy and theology and the terminology that he's using. So if you're not familiar with scholastic philosophy and theology, you might have a hard time understanding the terminology. Um, so entering into the story can be difficult. And like I said earlier, a lot of people misunderstand what he means by the dark nights. So I want to break this open for you a little bit today. But before I do, I think we can just bask a little bit more in the poetry. So I want to read the first three stanzas from The Dark Night of the Soul. It begins. On a dark night, kindled in love with yearnings, O happy chance, I went forth without being observed, my house being now at rest. In darkness and secure, by the secret ladder, disguised, O happy chance, in darkness and in concealment, my house being now at rest. In the happy night, in secret, when no one saw me, nor I beheld aught without light or guide, save that which burned in my heart. I would encourage you to read the, the poem uh, in totality. Um, mystical poetry has this dynamic where there's like moments where it almost feels a bit like love poetry and then moments where it feels like theology. <laughs> and, and then there's just this beauty in it that we can rest in and settle in. It, it fits. There's this resonance between it and our human experience that even if we haven't experienced the heights of mystical experience, we can still understand something of what John is getting at. Uh, so I would encourage you to go to the poem. It'll be linked in the show notes where you can find a full version online for free uh, and, and dig into this a little bit more. So while St. John of the Cross's book is called The Dark Night of the Soul, when he's talking about the dark night, he's actually talking about nights. There's different ways in which he uses this term throughout the work, and it can be confusing if you go into it expecting him to be describing a singular experience. But there's a multitude of ways in which John describes the spiritual life as nights. So this is from The Ascent of Mount Carmel. I'll, I'll have the full quote in the show notes and a link to the full version of the book. He says, We may say that there are three reasons for which this journey made by the soul to union with God is called night. The first has to do with the point from which the soul goes forth. For it has gradually to deprive itself of desire for all the worldly things which it possessed by denying them to itself. The which denial and deprivation are, as it were, night to all the senses of man. So this first way that it's a night is that we're, we're coming into our spiritual life. We're entering into relationship with God with passions that are disordered. Right? We're, we're drawn to things that are bad for us and we're repulsed by the things that are good for us. Right? How many times do you want to uh, if you just feel the desire to skip your prayer or to skip mass, right? nothing could be better for you than that, but there's something in you that's repulsed by it. And on the other hand, you might have 
like that second bowl of ice cream calling your name and you know it's not going to be good for you to eat more ice cream, but you're still drawn by it or you're still attracted to it. So we have this whole complex of attractions and repulsions in us, and it's affected by our memory, our wounds, our trauma, um, our past choices, habits, virtues, and vices that we come into the spiritual life with. So an essential part of the beginning of the spiritual life, and, and really the whole spiritual life, is some level of denying those senses. We call this mortification or asceticism, making acts contrary to those passions, not repressing them, but having them, feeling them, and then making choices contrary to them in order to heal them over time, to heal those wounds and traumas, to form the heart according to God and experience a, a new kind of connection with the Lord by the reformation of our hearts. So this is a, at first a night in the spiritual life by a denial of the sense. All right, he goes on in the quote. He says, the second reason has to do with the mean or the road along which the soul must travel to this union, that is faith, which is likewise as dark as night to the understanding. So there's this darkness in faith. I mean, that while faith gives us a true knowledge of God, it's a knowledge of God without sense impression. So there's, there's a certain darkness to faith, to our human mind. Um, and, and, all the, the different things are stripped away from our senses, but then even our understanding needs to be stripped away of our misconceptions of God. So there's this darkness to faith that we go through. And then the third has to do with the point to which it travels, namely God, who equally is dark night to the soul in this life. These three nights must pass through the soul, or rather the soul must pass through them in order that it may come to divine union with God. So from this perspective, John's saying, in a sense, the whole supernatural life has a dark night sense to it, in that our whole journey toward God, the, the means to it is the gift of faith, and then the end of it is God himself. So the whole spiritual life is, in a sense, a night. But there's also particular nights that the soul must pass through. One is sometimes called the active night of senses, the active night of the senses. It's active because we're, we're doing something, we're choosing something. These are ascetical practices, mortifications, choosing prayer when you don't feel like it, stopping eating even though you still want more, waking up in the morning even though you feel tired, choosing to do that thing for your spouse even though you've had a full day of work, um, choosing to forgive that person even though they've harmed you, these things that we choose to do that are contrary to our passions in order to mortify ourselves. There's an active night that we must pass through and journey through. But John also talks about passive nights. I mean, that there's certain nights that happen to the soul. It's not something that I am doing, but it's something God is doing to me. This is later on in the ascent. Like I said, the, the full quote will be in the show notes with the link to the full work. He says, for however dark a night may be, something can always be seen, but in true darkness, nothing can be seen. And thus, in the night of sense, there still remains some light, for the understanding and reason remain and are not blinded. But this spiritual night, which is faith, deprives the soul of everything, both as to understanding and and as to sense, All right? So there's this 
this deeper night that, that we go through by which all of our, our misconceptions, preconceived notions, images of God are stripped away and we enter into a new kind of darkness. And, and that darkness is, it's a full experience because it's an experience of, in a sense, faith in itself. The faith stripped away from the senses that go along with it. And this is something the soul has to endure. And, and, and some spiritual writers actually identify two different passive nights. A passive night or a dark night of the senses and a passive night or dark night of the spirit. If you go back to the episode on the three ages of the spiritual life or the road the roadmap to the spiritual life uh, toward the beginning of season two, we talked about these different phases by which the soul passes toward perfect union with God, the, the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive. So generally, this first passive night is placed in the transition between the purgative and an illuminative way. And then this second night, the dark night or passive night of the spirit, is the passing from the purg or the illuminative way into the unitive way, from the proficient into the perfect. So spiritual writers talk about passing through these different stages. Um, but it, it, thinking about them, it's helpful to make some um, distinguishing comments in order to contrast them to other dark spiritual experiences or other dark experiences in this life. These dark nights are sometimes called contemplative aridity. Contemplative aridity. It's contemplative because it in itself is actually a kind of prayer that's happening, a gift, an infusion of God's grace. But it's arid because it's dark and it's dry. This is what John says, St. John of the Cross says about this in the dark night. He says, this night, which as we say, is contemplation, produces in spiritual persons two kinds of darkness or purgation, corresponding to the two parts of man's nature, namely the sensual and the spiritual. And thus the one night or purgation will be sensual, wherein the soul is purged according to sense, which is subdued to the spirit. And the other is a night of, or purgation, which is spiritual, wherein the soul is purged and stripped according to the spirit and subdued and made ready for the union of love with God. So he says that this aridity, this dark night, is contemplation, is mystical prayer itself. It's something that God is doing in the soul, is giving to the soul. And while it's dark, it's not empty. Right? It feels empty. It feels like God is absent. It feels like faith isn't real, but God is there. So if you think of different reasons why a room may be dark, right? We walk into a room and, and it seems dark to you. There's really kind of two possibilities. One possibility is the lights are actually off. The room is actually dark. The other could be that you enter into the room so abruptly and it's so bright that it blinds you. And then it takes a period of time for your eyes to adjust to the new light. That the brightness of the room is overwhelming to your senses. And I would propose that the, the dark nights, the passive nights that St. John of the Cross talks about is this second kind of darkness. This overwhelming, blinding, new, deep, and rich experience of God. 
What's happened in, in the, the night of sense, this passive night of sense, after passing through the initial phases of the spiritual life in the active night of sense or the active purgation of the ascetical life, then passing through this passive night of sense, what's happening is the soul is beginning to receive infused prayer. And this infused prayer, this contemplative prayer, is overwhelming. The, the, in a sense, the soul can't experience it yet. And, and there's this gradual process by which the faculties of the soul are conformed to God and made capable of experiencing the grace that God's offering to, to it. And this begins with the highest faculty and moves down to the lowest faculties. So our meditation works the exact opposite way. Our discursive prayer starts with the senses and then our, in, our external senses of seeing smelling, tasting, touching, etc., to our internal senses of memory, imagination, and judgment. And this moves our passions. And then the movements of the passions in the experience in our internal senses inform our intellect and will. Right? We come to a deeper understanding and then movements of the heart toward God. The exact opposite is the movement of contemplation, of infused prayer. It starts with the faculty of reason and will. Flows then through our passions, in our internal senses, then finally to our external senses. In this, this journey of the infused prayer, uh, in, in, the, in the sort of being made compatible with the infusion of God's grace, is sort of the phasing through of the illuminative way. So it begins at first where, where God's giving this gift, and it's only by the faculty of reason, only by faith. That the person has it. So it's it's even though it feels empty because there's no sensual experience, there's no image, there's no feeling, there's no picture, there's no sound, there's no taste, there's no nothing on the level of sense. It's still holding attention on God, right? So the person will, um, in the midst of this, sort of be staying in prayer even though sensually there seems to be nothing there. And then this moves down through the will and the passions and the internal senses. And so sometimes this first phase of contemplative prayer is then talked about as the prayer of quiet or simple contemplation by which the will is captured, but the rest of the faculties of the soul remain sort of blowing in the wind. So you might experience some distractions or, or just an emptiness. And then eventually, those internal faculties are, are sort of taken up, and, and this might be contemplation proper, where the person's memory, imagination, judgment um, are all involved with God. And then finally, it overflows into the body. And this is when the great saints experience things like raptures and spiritual flight and other things that, that, that are these supernatural experiences that are expressed in their body. But this illuminative way is this gradual conquering of the whole human person by the infused grace. But it begins at the very beginning with this darkness, where all that used to provide the soul so much consolation in that meditative prayer, in the different images they use, the different words they used, is stripped away. So let's talk a little bit more about contrasting experiences other causes of darkness in the soul. The first is sin. The second is desolation. And the third is depression. 
So sin, desolation, and depression. Some people use dark night as a synonym for all spiritual darkness and physical darkness, but it's not. The dark night is this experience of the darkness of faith, the journey toward God, and this loss of, of uh, sense experience of the Lord, either by our active effort or by the infusion of grace. Um, but there's these three other dark experiences in our life. The first is sin. Sin destroys our nature. Sin's an act of spiritual suicide. Uh, by sin, the, the, the mind is darkened and the will is weakened. And so by sinning, we experience this natural darkness in our life, this confusion, this feeling of distance from God. It's not because God is pulled away from us. It's just the natural consequence of our choices, of, of really trying to push God away, even though we can't. Um, but we, we, by sinning, in a sense, make ourselves incapable of perceiving God. We make ourselves incapable of meditation and prayer because we're, we're destroying our human nature. Our mind is darkening. Our will is weakening. We're being turned toward evil things, and our passions are becoming more and more out of control. And you see how in the spiritual life, we're working the exact opposite thing. We're mortifying and bringing those senses into order according to God's design and by doing that, then our will is strengthening, and over time, our, our mind is, is becoming, um, becoming clearer. We're, we're growing in understanding, and this is supernaturally being expressed in the virtues of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. So a little more subtle distinction, though, is between a dark night and spiritual desolation. If you go back to the episode on the discernment of spirits, St. Ignatius of Loyola talks a lot about spiritual desolation. This desolation, St. Ignatius says, happens for three different reasons. One is because the, the soul has become um, lazy, has fallen out of spiritual practice. Not because you've sinned, but because you've stopped doing what you're committed to doing. You're li not living um, your spiritual life as you feel called to. The second, it's because you've, you've mistaken yourself for your own cause of your own spiritual life. Right? You're, you're, you don't have a full knowledge of how much you rely on God. So God removes his sensual presence from you so that you realize what you are left to your own design. So the, the third reason, like I said, is uh, I started getting into it there, that you have this growth in self-knowledge, this realization of who you are without the Lord. So these are the different causes for desolation. So the dark night, while you, you, you could maybe say it's a kind of desolation, it's not because it's a full experience. It's an infused experience. A spiritual desolation is not an infused form of prayer. It's an experience that God's allowing to happen in the soul so that you may grow in love of him, have that love of him refined and perfected, that whatever um, imperfect motivations you might have for prayer, maybe you're just going for a good feeling or for your own self-improvement, could be burn away, or that you could come to know who you are without him, come to rely on him more fully, right? Come to a deeper relationship with the truth. So this experience of spiritual desolation is going to happen naturally in the spiritual life. We're going to have this ebb and flow of consolation, desolation, consolation, desolation. And, and these desolations, um, what comes with these desolations um, is that the desolation, um, in the desolation, we need to continue with the commitments we've already made and then intensify our spiritual efforts against the desolation. Meaning in desolation, you pray for the desolation to stop. You pray for the consolation to return. 
and then and then you sort of increase your time in meditation, your active spiritual efforts, and your ascetical practices, contrary to the desolation. So your desolation may give some, something like an impulse to stop praying, like, oh, you've already prayed uh, 45 minutes. Like, just cut the last 15 minutes off the hour. You've given enough to God. Um, like, this is what the desolation might be saying in your heart. So the way that you act against that is you pray for an hour in five minutes instead of just the hour. Or maybe the desolation, maybe you've committed to um, to something for your health to, in order to give your body to the Lord more fully. You know, the, in the desolation, it might be, oh, you know, just cheat a little bit. Uh, following on the tale of desolation is always temptation. So when we give in to, to, to the things that desolation tells us to do, then the enemy comes in with temptation on top of that. Desolation can become a gateway to falling away from the Lord, but it's also a gateway to greater love of the Lord. So it's this sort of hinge moment for or away from God. In contrast to desolation, a dark night is a contemplative aridity. So it's an experience of infused prayer by which the soul cannot do anything to make it happen more quickly or more perfectly, except just get out of the way. So in the contemplative aridity, although you may pray for God to purify you, you pray for God to, to transform you, um, in the midst of it, you're not acting contrary to it. You're actually settling into it. You're allowing that darkness to purify you. Uh, you're not refilling your time with a bunch of devotions or active meditation. You're settling into the darkness. So one of the characteristics of the dark night is that outside of the prayer time, in the other aspects of life, stuff is actually going well. Right? To other people, you're going, to seem, you're going to seem joyful, happy, even better off. Right? You're, you're going to have ease in living the, the life that you feel called to. You're going to feel a sense of, of joy in your ordinary life. But when you turn to the Lord in prayer, that's when, where the darkness is. In desolation, on the other hand, you're going to experience this, this, uh, this darkness, this turmoil throughout your life. Right? It's going to go beyond just your prayer time. If you're having to make that discernment between what's spiritual desolation and what's uh, contemplative aridity or a dark night, you really need spiritual direction at that point. To be alone with these internal movements, nobody knows themselves well enough to really tease it out. And by I think God maybe by special graces sometimes um, brings the great saints through these stages very quickly. Ordinarily, um, we're taken through these stages over a significant period of time. So we need to have a director. We need to have a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, who's going to help walk us through this and, and, and encourage us throughout it and help us to determine what's happening. One thing to note is that, um, that this growth in the spiritual life doesn't happen without a growth in the moral life. The spiritual life and moral life are together. It's the supernatural life which includes your body and your soul. So your whole life is being directed toward God. So there's no growth in prayer. There's no growth into the nights without a matching growth in the moral quality of your life. And when we talked about the three ages of the spiritual life, the primary thing that's happening when you're moving through those ages on the surface is the elimination of all grave sin and the elimination of all habitual sin. So if you're still struggling with any grave sin on the episode about confession, I went through the list of grave sins from the catechism. 
or habitual sin, meaning just every time you go to confession, you're saying the same thing, or most of the time when you go to confession, you're saying the same thing. This is a sign that you're, you're probably not at that phase yet. You're going through normal ebb and flow of consolation and desolation, or you're just committing sins. So in a sense, you're just getting pushed all the way back uh, to the beginning um, by that sin, that grave sin you're falling into. All right, so those are the first two causes of darkness in the spiritual life, other than a dark night of the soul, sin and spiritual desolation. The third reason is psychological distress, or we might just simply categorize it as depression. This is a a mental phenomenon, a psychological phenomenon, really something that's happening in the body, which is affecting the spirit. So I want to talk some. um, Father Thomas Dubay was really kind of the person that introduced me to all these teachings. His writings are awesome. I highly recommend The Fire Within um, if you want a great introduction that goes beyond just the surface of Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. But on page 163 of The Fire Within, he has this great chart, and he contrasts the dark night or purifying night, contemplative aridity, with mental or emotional problems. So I want to talk about this a little bit so that you can get a sense of the difference. So for an emotional or mental problem, the person's going to experience extensive introspection, self-concern, self-analysis. The person can scarcely get his mind off himself and his problems. So in the dark night, there's little or no introspection once the condition is adequately explained. Right. So once you realize you're in a dark night, so little awareness of the problem in your life aside from the time of prayer. All right, the second layer, for mental or emotional problem, there's going to be an unrealism. So the depressed person's situation is not as dismal and as hopeless as he considers it when the problem is depression. Um, So there's this sense of the person's out of touch with reality. So in the case of the dark night, on the other hand, the pains of the dark night are objectively well-founded. We are very imperfect, and we need exactly what is happening The situation is as realistic as a laundry washing machine operation and what it is doing for the soiled clothes. So on the mental emotional problem side, this next layer, depression. It says the person with a mental problem often suffers from clinical depression, more or less severe. For the dark night, there is no depression at all. At work, play, meals, the person is as cheerful as at any other period in the spiritual life. So the darkness is only at prayer. So then fourth, many mental problems are difficult to heal. Years of therapy may be needed, and even then progress may be only partial. So number four then, for the dark night side, a competent explanation clears up the anxiety occasioned by the first night. Therapy is not needed in either night, even if the second must run its course. Five, chronic fatigue or Insomnia often accompany the emotional disturbance. And in the case of the dark night, there's no problem at all with emotional fatigue or insomnia. So six, fixing attention on studying or reading or a lecture can be impossible in the case of somebody with mental distress. And then for the dark night, he says attention at prayer can be difficult and at times impossible, but there is no attention problem in the rest of life. And then finally, the final distinguish he makes mental emotional problems do not of themselves promote virtue or increase depth in relationship with god on the other hand the two knights do of themselves greatly increase love humility patience and the like 
and they decidedly prepare one for deeper prayer. So the nights themselves are an infusion of God's grace. So I hope this episode helped you a little bit to understand the dark nights, maybe to see what's coming ahead in the uh, the spiritual life, maybe just to make sense of what's going on in your own spiritual life. Um, I hope you'll journey with me on, on seeking after this highest calling of prayer, seeking after the unitive way. You know, I'm, I'm offering a lot of this in theory, you know, through other writers like John of the Cross, Father Thomas Dubay, um, who have experienced these things. And no, I'm a fellow journeyer with you going through the purgative way, seeking the Lord and trying to engage in the active night of the sense. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.